Stockholm. It's .NET Rocks! How did they get 10,000 Swedes in one building, little building like this? It's amazing, really. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. I'm so excited we're here. It's been a fun show. It's been a really fun show. Uh, Jimmy Engstrom's birthday was... Uh, and yesterday. you sang to him. I did. So I sang. eloquently, too. Happy birthday. He was um, appalled, I think, actually. Probably. Yeah, terrified. Yeah, terrified a little. His, his uh, hair turned bright blonde. That's what happened. <laughs> That's, it was yeah. green before. Yeah. You did a good set last night, by the way, Frank. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it was singing. fun. You, did, you knocked it out. So, uh, we're glad to be here at Sweet Tug. Is it Sweat Tug or Sweet Tug? Sweet, sweet Tug. Tug. It's very sweet, actually. Yeah. And uh, um, it was my first time. I think it was yours Mine too, too, right? Yeah, yeah. But but you guys have been going on for how long, Jessica? Six months. Yeah, number six. This is number six. Yeah. Where have we been? I don't know. I don't know either. But anyway, Stacy Cashmore is here. We're going to talk to her in just a minute. But first, we have this little matter of a thing we call Better Noah Framework. Roll the crazy music. <laughs> All right, buddy, what do you got? Uh, well, I have obviously uh, been into Blazer yes, head first. You are into Blazer. And you don't have a Blazer Blazer yet, like no, Jeff no, Fritz. I don't. I probably will never have a. Blazer. That's a lot of sequins, but yeah, Jeff Fritz is in a class by himself. That's yeah, true. However, I did attend um, Steve Sanderson's Blazer Talk, Advanced Blazer Talk at NDC last week. Oh yeah, yeah. And I saw a technique that he kind of just showed. It wasn't really in the... In typical Steve Sanderson yeah. style. Just sort of casually threw out a mind bender. Is there a blog post? No. Nah. Is there a white paper? No. <laughs> so I said, do you ask him, do you mind if I blog about this? Because I think it's revolutionary. Right. And he said, yeah, go sure. ahead. So the story is that client-side Blazor runs uh, WebAssembly, and it runs in the browser, right? Mm-hmm. That same code can run on the server in a server-side Blazor application, so long as you know the code is .NET standard right. compatible, and you have all the resources on both sides. But here's the thing: with WebAssembly projects, you can't yet debug in Visual Studio, so you can't put a breakpoint on your C sharp code. That's the client-side stuff. Client-side stuff. Okay. Server-side all day long because it's on the server. We sure, write. and that's fine. We've had that engine for a while, but yeah. breaking through the browser um, sandbox can be tricky. Right. Also, you know, if you're on the fence as to which hosting model to use, client or server, you may end up trying both, sure. right? But wouldn't it be great if you could use one code base on both sides and edit and, and develop both at the same time? That would be pretty cool. All right. So, you can do that. So, how you do it is if you have a WebAssembly, if you're going to create a WebAssembly app project, you, you have to um, use the... .NET Core 3.1 ASP.NET hosting. Right. Right? So now you have three projects. You have a client, you have a server that hosts the client, and then you have a shared project where models and things go that yeah. are going to go back and forth between the two. To that, you add a Blazor server app to that solution. And from the server app, you add a reference to the client app in the shared app. Okay. Okay? Then you go into your underscore host CSHTML, where the app component is defined, the app component is essentially all your code, all your UI. And instead of refer referencing your own app on the server, you reference the one on the client. And now you can get rid of all your Razor files, all that stuff on the server side. Hmm. And then you have to also have multiple startups. You have to start the 
Blazor client server, right. <laughs> the WASM server, and your server-side Blazor app both at the same time. Okay. Run both of those, and you can run them both in the two tabs side by side. But best of all, you're running the client-side code on the server where you have full Visual Studio debugging. Right. So you do your debugging as a server configuration and then can deploy as a client configuration if you want. Yeah, because you're absolutely writing the code for your WebAssembly app. Any differences at all? Like it, it, it's just the same DLL runs either way? It, well, it's the same code. Yeah. It's, so it's the Blazor code and components that are compiled and run in their respective places. Right. All right. It's a very cool thing. So I've blogged about this. And you can read the blog post at 1679.pwop.me, or if you just go to the show notes and look for it, or if you just go to blog.appvnext.com, it's the, it's the, you know, the one I posted. Awesome. That's it. Cool. Good stuff. Who's talking to us today, Richard? Uh, you know, I realized we hadn't talked about pair programming quite a while, so I was digging back a bit, and I ran across show 1260, which is one we did in February of 2016. Uh-huh. So that's a while ago. And it was actually a show we did on our ScottNet Rocks tour. Remember that? The ScottNet Rocks We went Rocks up to Scotland, tour. yeah. yeah and this is, awesome. uh, we were talking to Chris McDermott about agile change. And I, I thought it was a very appropriate uh, overall concept. And this particular comment comes from Daniel Posebon, who says, Hi, guys. Great episode, as always. I have a couple of questions that I think can be useful to other developers working in a non-agile environment. Right now, I'm in the middle of helping an enterprise organization, one of those that is still uses COBOL, change from a waterfallish approach to a more agile one. My biggest complaint is that they're adopting TFS, and this is four years ago, so mm. it's before GitHub was really inside of Microsoft, and a lot things hadn't happened quite as much. Right. But are uh, adapting to it their older procedures instead of understanding the mental shift that needs to happen in order to use TFS efficiently. This is one of the classic situations where whoever decided to start using TFS believes that the tool by itself can make your teams more effective. Mm -hmm. like the tools aren't going to save you, dude. Tools aren't going to save you. As a result, all programmers are starting to hate TFS because of the extra bureaucracy that resulted from the incorrect adoption of the tool. That's a great description of that, right? Yeah. That those extra steps that you're adding, and they just see it as bureaucracy. It's wasted time. I'm struggling to explain to my superiors how to improve the processes in small iterative steps, as opposed to what was done by the management that requires all processes to be changed immediately and managed from TFS by a certain point of time without any guidance. Yeah. Uh, have you ever seen a successful agile change that started from the developers as opposed to more of a bottom-up mindset versus a top-down mindset? Mm -hmm. And if so, what were the methods used by them to demonstrate the benefits of the change? And he goes on to just start talk about you know, organizations generally are resistant to change. So, you know, I think really what Danielle's getting at is this, does this have to be a top-down thing? Mm -hmm. do, do we have to be mandated from the CTO on downward rather than the individual team members can grab onto something and bring it upward? And that's funny that it's like a, the agile organization versus the waterfall organization, yes, it's like, right? This is a waterfall organization, and he's more or less asking, can we waterfall our way to agile? Yeah. Right? Like, we, we want that top down. It's like, I think the bottom up is pretty much essential. Absolutely. But you still have to make a plan. And, you know, he hit on the real issue in my mind, which is you're expecting the tool to help you. Mm. And it's, you know, people process tools. Mm -hmm. you, you, you know, first you embrace, you embrace a change of the culture. Then you come up with processes and then the tools that facilitate that. And right. If you don't do that in order. It's very tough. And this is admittedly 
I mean, a four-year-old comet. So it's yeah. a, it's a, uh, hopefully things are better now. Hopefully things have changed. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and by all means, like, let us know because I'm going to send you a copy of Music to Code By. Yeah. So thanks so much for your comment. A copy of Music to Code By is on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Music to Code By, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or via any of the social media because we publish every show to Facebook. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, I'll send you a copy of Music to Code By. Yes, we will. And you can definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet. But you know, you don't need to have a scrum first. Just just send <laughs> just it. Just send it. Just it's okay. send it. It's okay. <laughs> well, we're very happy to have Stacey Cashmore with us to talk about uh, pair programming. And uh, let me just read a little bit of her bio so you know who she is. Stacey's been a software developer since the mid-1990s. And since being handed a sink or swim assignment, managing a near-shoring project in the early 2000s, she has been an avid fan of agile ways of working even before she had heard of the agile movement. Seeing no other option than close collaboration with a client and constantly looking for ways to improve the delivery of the project. The success of the project only cemented the idea that this was the way to work. For the last decade, Stacy's worked for Independer, the largest online financial advice website in the Netherlands, on the customer-facing website and interfaces with the external financial institutions, whilst also helping with the ongoing agile adoption within the development environment. Welcome, Stacy. Give her a big hand. Thanks for having me. It's still completely unreal that I'm kind of sitting here with you guys on stage. It's, it's kind of unreal for me, too. I almost didn't make it this morning. <laughs> <laughs> but we're here, we're doing the thing, and uh, I was really impressed by your session. I, wasn't able to, we, I think we were speaking at the same time. But the, the sort of, I've read your blog posts and just this thinking around pair programming because it's, it's been around for years. I, I almost don't think it's discussed that much anymore. I don't think it's discussed that much. And I think it's really nicely split into two camps. Mm -hmm. The people that go, it's awesome. We have to do this. Right. And the people that go, it's pointless. Yeah. Don't waste my time with it. You're just I'm having not our productivity, right? Yeah. Two people, one keyboard. What good could come of this? Yeah. Cause if you're a developer and you're not typing, you clearly what are, you doing? are not doing anything useful. Yeah. The type the, more. The times that I've done pair programming was usually either for my education when somebody else knew the code base better than me and I wanted to watch what they were doing and ask questions, or the other way around. You know, if I'm teaching somebody who is, you know, taking over my, uh, you know, role in a particular project. So is, and we usually do it remotely. So is that technically pair programming or is that like, programming while somebody watches and asks questions i would say that depends on what you're doing at the time it's yeah. uh we discovered late on once we started to do pair programming that we could actually use it for onboarding and uh, we had a yeah. tester start in our team late last year and we actually got them on day one sitting with one of the developers pair programming with pair programming with the developer mm -hmm. if i can speak english so i mean first day Already working on projects, yeah. like making meaningful contributions, because getting someone up to speed on a, a, a on an application is not a trivial problem. Like I typically looked at, they're not going to do something significant for a month or two. Yeah, and that's something that we've seen a lot when we get people in previously, and you put them with a big thick wad of paper saying, "This is how we work." Except that all of the paper is wrong. Yeah, right. It's <laughs> like every time they ask a question about it, saying, like, "Oh, we don't actually do that anymore." Right. Yeah, that's it. And yeah, we moved it all into. Um, TFS wikis, right? Yeah. So that it's much easier to find. Not and now it's digitally wrong. Yes, wrong. in multiple places. <laughs> yes. And I, I tell you what, wikis are the smartest thing because you know we have this um, 
the the royal documentation is is usually expired within a month yeah. and you can't trust it anymore mm-hmm. you know and so having the responsibility fall on one person to keep it up to date just doesn't work it doesn't no. work and we actually tried to get the new developers to do that for us and right. that works like even less yeah <laughs> it's like well you can't write any real code so how about you update the wiki yeah that kind of thing and then on top of that, they're sitting there, they're looking at this wiki page, they're thinking, what am I supposed to be doing? Yeah. So they start asking questions, and now nobody in the team's doing anything. Right. And everybody's going, that was right two years ago? Yeah. That bit was right six months yeah, ago? It's, it's terrible. You can't If you can't trust it, it's almost like, you know, test-driven development, you got to have wiki-driven policy changes or whatever. <laughs> you know, you write, you write the wiki, you change the wiki first, and then you publish whatever is new about it, you know? Doesn't that make sense? <laughs> I mean... I, I, if you can't trust the document, what's the point of going there? Nobody will. No. Nobody will. Use well, it. and they don't. That's and they, and that of course is a self-reinforcing cycle because nobody goes there. Nobody notices things are wrong. Yeah. And so anybody does goes there for quickly figures out it's a mistake. Don't go yeah, there. Yeah. Exactly. So and I mean, where is the source of truth? The developers that are doing it. Yeah. Yeah. In the code. In the code. Yeah. Like, why, why anything else? Yeah. And so it's really fantastic. You can get someone sitting next to you. Um, they can learn their way around. They mm-hmm. can learn how you work and at the same time having somebody looking at it and going but why on earth are you doing it this way yeah because that's how we've always done it Uh, and having that fresh pair of eyes it just it helps both parties it's not only good for the person coming in it's great for the team as well just i found that when onboarding they're always apologizing you know they're apologizing oh i'm sorry but what we when we meant to say uh you know, this, we really meant that. We meant to say that. We really meant this. Oh, okay. So I got to keep that swap in my head. Nice. Thanks. I'm, we're really sorry. We're all really sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Are you all sorry. Canadian? I'm is so that sorry. what that is? Uh, so- sorry. Okay. But I do think there's a power to the, the new person. Just sort of having that opportunity to go, y'all know that's an elephant, right? Standing yeah. right over there. Does everybody just sort of ignore that elephant? It's like, yeah, we really don't talk about that elephant. No. Uh-huh. <laughs> Thanks, thanks for pointing it out. It's, but maybe, maybe you have a moment where it's like, you know, maybe we could be doing this differently. Just that, that, just that reminder that you're tolerating these things, that the new person is just recognizes it and, and presses against it. Maybe it can get changed. Yeah, as long as you've got a team that's open for change, it's, um, sure. it, it really helps you move forward. Well, it was one of the reasons I brought up that comment at the beginning of the show was just that clearly uh, Daniel was working on this hard problem of trying to change the organization and, and hoping that it's this classic hope of hoping how, maybe we could go top down. We'd actually have enough authority to make the change. I just don't know that, that ever happens. That no, I've never happens. seen that one work in no. real life. It's you either get resistance in the middle at the bottom, and if you try and introduce tools, then you just end up well. We have to work this way because that's what the tool says we have to do. And then it becomes bureaucracy. Yeah, everybody hates it, and people avoid it. And <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. How so, many people like TFS or Jira just because they make you work in a certain way that? They really shouldn't be. Yeah. I don't think anybody likes it that way. But Bummer you- of a way to start the day, isn't it, guys? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so is it always a bottom-up then? It is developers deciding they want to work differently? In my experience, that's what I've always managed to get working. We've right. tried it in the past top-down, but unless you've got developers prepared to try something new, prepared to experiment, mm-hmm. uh, and accept that things are going to go wrong. Right. I think that's the biggest thing is fear of failure. Yeah. It's like, why would I take a chance? If, you, if you're in an organization where 
you know, missing a feature delivery time or downing the server is a career ending move. Really not that interested in change. No, you've got to have a huge amount of psychological safety. Right. It's um, outside of the team, inside of the team. It's uh, if you're not prepared or if you're afraid to say that something's wrong, something's broken. It didn't work. Yeah. Yeah. Then you're just going to hide stuff. Yeah. And then nothing gets fixed either. No. And I also think people revert fairly quickly. Yeah. It's like they may spend the first few days trying the new tool and then gradually stop and keep doing what they were always doing. Yeah. All right. Well, clearly now this works and we should abandon all hope. I feel better. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, do we stop at two for pair programming or triple programming, gang programming? Mob programming? Mob programming. Woody Zool's thing? Woody Zool's thing. Yeah. We've managed to get... Four or five people involved, but I don't know if I'd call it mob programming because I don't know enough about mob programming to yeah. really see the differences. But as I think long mob as programming involves alcohol. No, that just <laughs> that's what I see as the. That's primary not good difference. if you've got to drive home afterwards. But no, it, yeah, yeah, true. I mean, well, what he was doing was really interesting from the point of view of there was still one keyboard and there were other people, you know, watching the code and conversing on the code. But it was the it was the other person with another laptop that was also researching things that often yeah. cut a step. I was like, hey. There's a library for this, you know, that sort of thing, which I don't, I think is hard to do when it's just two of you in one machine. Yeah. Like that, that you've got this sort of sense of a bridge conversation in mob programming where there's somebody looking at alternatives and there's, you know, somebody arguing domain and there's, you know, somebody typing who's also like, make a decision, guys. Like, let's keep moving. Also, but, you have to keep track of that queue of suggestions. Obviously, otherwise, the person on the keyboard's going to yeah. be like, "Shut up! <laughs> <laughs> I'm typing as fast as I can." But I do like this basic dynamic of the pair, where it's like one person head down, one person head up, kind of thing. Like you're, you, the one person on the keyboard is the one essentially typing and trying to build the code, and you're more, you know, that's how you get caught in a thrash. Right of I'm trying this, I'm trying this, I'm trying yep. this, trying this, and the other person is almost invariably the person who breaks the thrash because, like, maybe we're going in the wrong direction. I, we did it the other way around. We did it. The person on the code was right. trying to understand what the navigator was trying to say, so right. we we let the navigator navigate, mm-hmm. but we made sure that it was always at the level of ideas, mm. right? Because we found if we tried to go below the level of ideas, then the person at the keyboard stopped thinking. Right. You start dictating uh, code to them. Yeah, that's it. And that's they, it, exactly. I'll just type what you say. Yeah. How and then that? everybody gets tired. Yeah, uh, that's not as, as I say, my code, we didn't become developers so that we could use somebody else's code, except for Stack Overflow. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're trying to tell somebody how to type something, it's so frustrating because they're not using your keyboard shortcuts. Right. And you're sitting there thinking, it'd be so much faster. Why don't you just do this? Yeah. All right, and let's take a couple of days so they can learn Code Rush, okay? <laughs> <laughs> but that's not the point. Like those, That is not the language that should be used no. in yeah. effective pair programming. No, right. so we really try and make sure that we give the idea to the person at the keyboard. Mm-hmm. And then if that person can't put the code in just from the idea then we have to explain it again. Right. And we get up sometimes, we go to the glass walls, we start drawing if we can't pass ideas across. Right. Mm. It's really hard to do. It's really hard to stay in that level of discipline. Mm-hmm. Um, you get the navigators that come out with the wonderful phrases of, um, just give me the keyboard, just give me the keyboard yeah, a minute, right. let me just do this and then we can carry but, on. But isn't that a fail? Yeah, absolutely. At that yeah. moment. Now, okay. At that point, you really have to stop and go, no, because I don't know what you're about to type. Right. right. So if I don't understand it, it's not going in. Yeah. 
And okay. we have to both understand it for it to go in the code. Yeah. And it goes the other way as well. If you're busy typing and you suddenly get this idea, you know exactly what you need to do now. You can't just start typing. You have mm. to explain to the navigator. Yeah. You've got to give that keyboard across because as soon as you start typing, they go back to their phone. Right. Wow. That's really, I mean, the, the be, I love that. And I, I love how frustrating it is till you get good at it. Yeah. Mm hmm. Is the quality of the code that much better? Yeah. We've noticed that our code has got a lot more concise. Mm -hmm. um, Book-wise, I can't really comment that well because we didn't do badly before. Right. But the code is a lot more readable. And the main one that we love is our pull requests. We used to have ginormous pull requests that were really unreadable. And once they were in the master, that's it. They're gone. Don't look at them again because yes. you've got no idea what they were trying to do. Mm. And having the discipline to keep up with each other and like, stop. Either this is too huge, so we're doing too much. Um, or, yeah, we've got totally lost. We're just typing rubbish now. We've seen the problem. And right. we're just hitting the keyboard, hoping that at some point it actually works for us. Right. And having somebody that can play the devil's advocate that can stop you. Yeah. And even if it means just, you know, undo all of your work for the last two hours, because you're never going to make went it down good the again. Wrong path, yeah. Right. So let's not check, you know, down the rabbit hole in. Yeah. Just so you felt like you were productive for two hours. Mm. Uh, the, you know, you're still productive. You've clearly figured out a way that you shouldn't do it. Absolutely. Now we can, now we can go yeah. back, right? Now we can try a different would, one. It almost works. Let's check it in. We'll debug it later. It's kind of an evil thing to do. Yeah. Especially when later is six months and you yeah. just. And you're, you're like. What monkey wrote this? Oh, wait, it was me. <laughs> hey, I know how that <laughs> but works. I like, I like this core <laughs> statement of the process of having two people understand a piece of code before it's contributed just makes it substantially better code. Yeah. Anything more than one, I guess, is the big thing because we, we can entertain foolishness in our own head by ourselves as we write code. It's much harder to fool someone else. Yeah. And you still got to be careful that you don't get blinkered with each other. Sure. You're both so focused on the problem that you both miss it. Yeah, so you can lie to each other effectively. Yes. Yeah. We call that a strong team-building <laughs> exercise. Okay. You know, I can fail much faster <laughs> if I do it in my head. <laughs> um, uh, so a question about uh, if somebody's listening to this and saying, yeah, I think maybe it's time for us to try this. Isn't the first step sort of coming up with the ground rules? And, you know, maybe uh, what are the ground rules that we're going to, you know, live by in this so we know what to expect when we go into a pair uh, programming session? That's a really hard one to answer because I think that's team specific. Mm. The, the first question that I would ask there is what problem are you trying to solve? What experiment yeah. are you trying to doing? What what do you expect to get out of it? Mm -hmm. Um if you simply decide it's time for us to pair program, it's not going to work because you've got no is aim there, in mind. It's not a goal in itself. Is there any other than higher quality code? What are the other... The only thing I think of is higher quality code. What else is there? The other one that we see a lot of is lead time. So getting code actually out so that customers can use it. Because if we were working individually... Okay. Then it can take a lot longer to get something done as one person. So higher productivity is a natural byproduct of pair programming. Not only that, but everybody gets it. Everybody on the gets same level. it. And the productivity is also an interesting one because you're not necessarily 
at the time, trice is productive. Right. In the future, it should come back and give you it. Right. Mm. But what you should get is a time to actually get something out to the users. Should be shorter. I mean, it's counterintuitive. Yeah. You think two people working separately would make more stuff than two people collaborating over the same keyboard. They can make more key presses. That's true. I'm pretty sure. There's more keyboards, so yeah. clearly more key presses. But the chances of making something deliverable are lower? In the same amount of time, I'd say, yeah. Yeah. That's certainly about our, our experience. Because the automatic fight against pair programming is you're having productivity. Yeah. That, you know, two people on one keyboard is just not going to make as much. No. And initially, you don't. Right. And that's the other really hard part. You start this. It doesn't give you back what you're expecting. Right. And so you stop. Everybody gives up. It's easy really to give quickly. up on this. Yeah. Yeah. And it takes a lot of effort. Yeah. And the question is, is it worth it? Yeah. And that's something that you've got to answer as a team. And Stacey, I'm going to interrupt for one moment for this very important message. This episode of .NET Rocks is brought to you by Datadog, a real-time monitoring platform that unifies metrics, logs, and distributed request traces from your cloud containers and orchestration software. Track the health and performance of your dynamic containers, apps, and services with rich visualizations and machine learning-driven alerts. Datadog's new cluster agent streamlines data collection from large container clusters and allows you to auto-scale Kubernetes workloads based on any metric you're already collecting with Datadog. To start monitoring your container clusters, sign up for a free trial today and Datadog will send you a free t-shirt. Visit dd.netrocks.com to get started. And we're back. It's Richard Campbell. That's Carl Franklin. .NET Rocks. We're here at Sweet Doug in Stockholm, and we're talking to Stacey Cashmore a little bit about pair programming in the 2020s, because it's 2020. Mm. And I, th I think we're all a lot more accepting of this idea that, that coding is not just typing and that we care about quality from it. And I'm, I maybe I put you a little on the spot before the break there was, sort of, isn't it only about quality code? Because it's also about learning. Yeah. That to have different people that two minds know about the same piece of code that somebody new coming in an organization can get up to speed. D do you see it typically? The question is how often does this a peer relationship versus a senior junior relationship? Most of the time in our team, it was peer. Okay. Um, but we also had some amazing juniors come into our team. Right. And getting them up to speed with us and getting us up to speed with their ideas on how they thought code should be made. Cause and those idealistic, useful Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. They've not yet been burnt by business, and right. it's, uh, they have all the fantastic ideals, and they give some of them back to you. And Do you enjoy crushing their hopes and dreams? <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, we, this was a topic, an, an overarching topic on Don and Rocks a few years ago, where it was this idea of maybe all that experience and scar tissue is actually holding you back. Mm. Yeah. That there's yeah. these new tools and new ideas that uh, we that maybe we experimented with way in the beginning of and they didn't do well for us and we've ignored them ever since. And now a new person coming in using the later generation of those new generation tools is saying, well, these are amazing. I don't know why we're not using them. Yeah, they don't have the old pain like us old guys do. <laughs> no, you we know. can give them own new pain. Yes. Yeah, new pain. <laughs> they can teach us a few things. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm just happy to feel something. <laughs> There's a real dark spin today. I don't know no, what it is. Really, I don't know what's going on. Maybe it's the weather. Well, you know, I, I, I'm enamored of this because I do think that we're very, those productive moments, those in the flow moments where we write really constructive code, they're, they're not that common. We spend a lot more time at the keyboard than that. 
And I just wonder if this is that we think also look at these pairing mechanisms as ways to be better at flow. Yeah. It's, I think the best, by far the best experience I've had pairing, Mm -hmm. it was with a colleague of mine in the team. We sat together. We can think really well together anyway. Mm -hmm. And we kept each other on track. We kept all our pull requests small. We worked on individual problems and got those solved and then moved on to the next. And well solved. And well solved. When you're both delighted with it, then check it in kind of thing. And I think we went through three, four pull requests in an afternoon. And I left to go home and I got a WhatsApp message halfway home. Right. And it's like, that was fantastic this <laughs> afternoon. It's, yeah. I don't think I've been that productive in months. It yeah. was just, we've got to do this again tomorrow. Yeah. I, I think it's a great question then too, is like, are there just certain pairs or do you always rotate? Like, is that worthwhile? Or you get a pair that works well together, why wouldn't you keep them together? I wish we would have rotated more. Interesting. But we had... um Four back-end developers in our team. Mm -hmm. And it turned out that we had two pairs that worked really well together. Right. So um, I and the colleague that WhatsApped me, we would pair together really often. And the other two would get together really often. And that worked. And we we, we tried to swip it around. Yeah. But you just fell back into the same two pairs. Because we could just fall on the same wavelength really easily. Like you're getting good results. One of the problems that I experienced on a team recently was that there was one guy that had like all the knowledge of how the domain translated into code, right? And the requirements from the customer were changing so fast. But this guy was like the one guy who knew everything. And so everybody else was always wanting to pair with him, except for the fact that he was so busy doing everything else and writing most of the code that... uh, there wasn't enough of him to go around. Do you have, can, I guess what I'm saying is not necessarily have you run into this before because everybody has, but can pair programming, you know, outside of this one person help people understand that stuff? Like, can you, can information be disseminated fast enough? You can learn from each other faster, even if you've not got that one source of amazing knowledge that you really want to be working with, right. because you can still bounce between each other. You can still, well, I think it does this. What do you think this is supposed to mm-hmm. be doing? Right. And you can build up your knowledge that way. Obviously, not having that guy is just going to make it so much more difficult for you. Right. But uh, if you keep up with it, yeah, it's going to help you get there faster, providing you do bounce those ideas and you don't just sit there with one person staring over the shoulder at the right. screen. Do you get a sense of how long it takes to get good at this? Like uh, if I'm pitching this to the boss and it sounds like madness to them, we have to show some results at some point. You've got to show results. It's going to take months and it's going to take several stop starts. Interesting. So I mean, we're talking like a major rev of the app's worth of duration kind of thing. Yeah. And it's not going to slow you down for that whole time. But I think if you go into this and you expect it's going to work perfectly first time. There's almost no chance of that, I imagine. I mean, just learning to work with someone else that closely and figuring out those roles, that navigator versus operator role. And making sure that you keep talking. When you were working with this person that you worked well with, did you switch that role? Did you change turns at the keyboard kind of thing? Constantly. Yeah? We we didn't do the... um, the flip-flop, okay, I've done this bit, now you can do it. Right. It's but like, it was kind of now. like, no, we're in the flow, keep at it. And then at the point where the Wait. person at the keyboard had an idea or where the navigator went, I don't know where to go next. Right. And then, then we took a good time an, to switch. Yeah. So the times to switch become apparent, basically, ba- on where you are in the flow yeah. at that point. Mm-hmm. 
That's interesting. And depending on the knowledge that each person has. So you might reach a certain point and then the person at the keyboard is naturally the best person to continue. It also sounds like you both got up and went to the whiteboard regularly. Yeah. Like, I think that's because you feel really weird going to a whiteboard by yourself. But as soon yes. as there's another person in that process, because you need, you know, I, I talk to myself enough, right? But to have someone else there so it doesn't look like it's schizophrenia uh-huh. and, and and then to work through that conversation. Like, I also talk to the duck, but people think that's weird too, right? So, yeah, yeah right. it's just, you're doing all the things you do anyway. It's just now there's actually a person in the room. Yeah. So when you swear, they notice. That's talk to the duck is a great thing. You yeah. Know, if you don't understand a problem, take a little rubber ducky and explain it to them. Well, the number of times I've had someone instant message me their problem, and by the time they finish sending the message, like, got it, thanks. It's like, I was a duck, and effectively, <laughs> I literally did not say anything. My wife plays that role yeah. at home. But, but, but the, he had the, the process of typing it out. It's the same thing with Stack Overflow. By the time you've written a good enough question for Stack Overflow that you're not just immediately going to be crucified, you probably solved it, right? Because you actually are forced to think through it. Like this, this dual, uh, this being with someone else and forcing each other to think through things thoroughly until you both understand it. Yeah. Actually, the key to the whole thing that the typing becomes kind of easy after that. Yeah. I mean, by the time you get to the typing, Two people already understand the solution. Right. Or believe they do anyway. Yeah. Hopefully. Now we have to convince the compiler, <laughs> right? And the compiler can be very difficult at yeah. times. There might still be an amount of Googling and stack overflowing on yes. why you can't convert this into code, but at least you understand <laughs> what you're trying to do. Yeah. Now, you, two people can delude each other successfully. Absolutely. And I, and I also wonder if like a long-term pair might fall into some traps that way. You know, you've had that one person you paired with really well. Does it... It, does it make sense to keep changing up just because you might get lazy in that pair? Like you won't actually do all the things, almost just like a complicity. Okay. Yeah. Ours, the biggest issue that we had was to stay pairing in those situations. Okay. Not let someone go off typing. No. It's uh, it's quite easy, especially we had uh, flexible working. Right. Which also really doesn't help that much. Because you... Pairing's kind of tricky if you don't work at the same yeah, time. Yeah, so right? you have to make sure that you kind of got some core hours. Right, and or at least agree that you're going to work at the same time. Yeah. Uh, live share is fantastic. We tried live share so a few times. So remote pairing. Yeah. That's very interesting. Well, that's what I was talking about, ground rules. Like, you know, the, these kinds of things, like we're going to allow third-party tools, we're not going to allow open, open source or no open source, like using live sharing, this kind of thing. Yeah, that one we just did as an experiment. That wasn't a ground rule when we started. It was, I'm never in the office on a Monday afternoon for various reasons. Right, yeah. But we still wanted to continue pairing. We're halfway through something. Yep. And so, let's try Try live share. share. Yeah, I don't think I would start pairing with someone remotely. But if I've been pairing with someone for a while, yeah, yeah, that you have enough confidence in each other and you've kind of used to the dynamic. Figure out the protocol. Yeah. Then you could start using remote tools. Absolutely. And, and still, like, you know enough about the person now to know that that tone that says, I'm not bought into this yet. Uh-huh. Where that's way easier in person. And you get the expressions and so forth. Yeah. Especially we had issues with communication because we didn't have any audio. So we're trying to type. Wait, 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 what? And we've got chat windows open so we can talk to each okay. other. Okay. So you really were, wow. like, narrowing the straw. Yeah. Code Could you, like, side. Skype audio? <laughs> like, uh... <laughs> No, the developer machines we had didn't have any audio at all. So it's uh, phones. I mean, <laughs> we had phones, but you can't type like no, this. No, no, but speakers. I mean, <laughs> uh, open plan office effect. Okay, uh, it just seems really hard to do with. Yeah, speaking. It, it, it was 
really difficult, yeah. but we still got a lot out of it in the afternoon. Mm. It actually made us realize that we can do this, but, uh, but we need audio. Yeah. There's a big component of trust here, right? Like you've built enough trust with that person yeah. that you're able to, to stress the trust in that. Yeah, which, which is well. where the psychological safety comes back in. Sure. It's, mm. It really is if you don't, if you're not comfortable enough telling your teammate they're wrong mm. right. and knowing that you're not going to get negative feedback from them for that, yeah. no, then you're not going to do it. it. Yeah. But it, arguably, we always need to be able to do that in our team. It's just now you're talking lots of people where it's even harder. Like this, the other side of pair programming is you only really need to trust one person, the other person in the pair. Unfortunately, I don't think all teams are that well, that good yet. Well, um, no teams are that good yet. But it, to be, it, there's no way pairing doesn't work without trust. No. And in trusting one person and getting to be able to trust one person, you're both motivated to do so. That's substantially easier than building trust within a whole team. Yeah. Like it's a, it's a step forward. But one would argue ultimately the byproduct of pair programming within a team is the entire team starting to trust each other more. That one I'd have to look at in a different team. Hmm. We we had that trust in our team before we started. Right. We, we could have humongous arguments, sometimes really loud arguments that other teams heard. Right. And once we were finished with the argument, it was like, okay, we're done. Coffee. Awesome. And yeah, nobody, nobody's hearing a grudge here. That was good. Yeah. Right? Like we actually hammered out a problem. Yeah. And like, that's really important when you sit down with each yeah, other as well. that's pretty high trust already that yeah. you can allow emotions to warm up. You can really push on a topic. Right and explore it, and then be grateful or appreciative of the result. Yeah, not not offended, not hurt from the result. What are some of the other things that can typically stop a pair session in its tracks? Okay, we're done until you know whatever. I mean, I can think of you know not having a clear understanding of how the stakeholders want things implemented. Um, should we do it this way? Should we do it that way? Is that our call or is that somebody else's call? We have to check with whoever um what anything, are some of the other things maybe? anything that goes outside of the pair mm -hmm. so it's anytime it's uh we had a few we needed to make some services we needed to figure out where to put the services in the infrastructure right and it was all on-prem and not infrastructure as code so it was go to the it services team and say hey can you open up this port please right and no yes the correct answer is always no <laughs> <laughs> and once you get that, then it's kind of, you have to put stuff on the back burner, wait for things to be resolved yeah. outside of what you're doing before you can come back. And that's pretty much a point where it's like, you know what? The zone's gone. Yeah. It's, yeah. You've already been interrupted effectively. Yeah. How long would you typically pair for? Probably about 60% of the time. And it, in, in, uh, is that a, in a given work day or a given work week? Like, how are you measuring that? Probably in a work day. Okay. As I mean, we all had... So three, because three, four hours? Yeah. Okay. Three, four hours. You you figure out pretty quickly how tired you get. Sure. When, and when you're tired enough, that's like, we should stop. Yeah. Like, we're going to make mistakes from here. In those three, four hours, are you really interacting with anybody else? Like, do you have enough information going in to be able to do that without having to poke outside of the pair? Most of the time. Yeah. Not always, um, which is where the rest of the teamwork comes in. Sure. We were really lucky. Our product owner, she is awesome. And she sat next to us. So we could pretty easily, uh, is this supposed to do this? Right. Uh, is this supposed to do this? And then <laughs> right. you get an answer immediately. you are an open plan there. So yeah. you may be sitting together, but it's not like you're walled off. No, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, you don't have to go somewhere and ask questions. You can't no, just it's, uh, lean, lean over. Yeah, she was literally two desks behind us, yeah. and you can just shout it out and get an answer. Yeah, which is pretty compelling. Yeah. 
where can folks go for more resources? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And a great blog post, too. At Stacy underscore cash. And you can find me on Dev2. And the blog post is there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's about Those it for now. Things. So what's next for you? Uh, actually, I started a new job yesterday. Congratulations. Wow. Which is fun because I'm in a different country at the time. Yeah, you're, yeah, that's great. I think you're missing your first day at work. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it's good fun when you get a phone call from the recruiter. It's like, hey, how did your first day go? You have fantastic. I'm in Sweden. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Well, we wish you luck in your new job. And thank you for sharing with us. It's been great. Thank you for having me. It's been awesome. And sharing is pairing. Nice. Pairing is sharing. All right. <laughs> And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks! .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a